Good day everybody, this is Zachary Kameen, the Curious Christian, and these are Curious Conversations. Today we're going to be looking at the Holy Trinity, which is Article 8 of the Belgic Confession. As um, you know, we've been going through uh, what is Calvinism, and I have decided that um, better to use a more uh, arcane document, something that is from the past, um, that best illustrates and uh, brings forth a full view of what uh, the Reformed or the Calvinists believe. Um, I could have used uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, the only issue that could be brought up for it is that uh, it's a Presbyterian document, at least is what the argument could um, be held as. And so some of the Reformed may take issue. Well, Presbyterians are pretty well and fine with the uh, uh, Belgic Confession. Uh, it should also be said that the Belgic Confession and Heidelberg Catechism were agreed on by the uh, Calvinist Church, both from England, Scotland, uh, France, uh, Spain, Italy, and the Netherlands, and some from more Eastern Europe, um, as being uh, the most ecumenical in the Reformed Church. Uh, so, therefore, uh, it's officially stated since the Synod of Dort um, that this is the official international confession of Calvinists. So that's one of the reasons why I use it. Um, beyond that, I like the wording of it better, uh, and it's easier to read. Uh, so, joined to this truth um, and the Word of God, we believe uh, in one God alone, who is one essence with incommunicable properties in three persons, having had a real distinction of affairs from eternity. Certainly, in accordance with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, the passages that they cite are 1 John 2.10, uh, John chapter 1, verse 12, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, uh, Revelation uh, nineteen thirteen Proverbs eight twenty two John chapter one fourteen. Uh, uh, for the Father is the cause, origin, and beginning of all visible and invisible things. The Son is the Word, the wisdom, and the image of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the true power and strength that emanates from the Father and the Son. Nevertheless, this distinction does not make it that God is divided, as if into three parts. I'm seeing that Scripture teaches us that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit each has a hypostasis or substance distinguished by their properties. Uh, thus, these three persons are nevertheless one God alone. Uh, therefore, it is certain um, then that 
the Father is not the Son, nor the Son the Father, nor the Holy Spirit either the Father or the Son. At the same time, however, these persons, so distinct, are neither divided, nor confused, nor mingled together. For the Father did not take on human flesh, nor the Holy Spirit, only the Son. The Father never was without the Son, nor without his Holy Spirit, since these same persons are of the same eternal essence. Far from these, there is neither a first nor last, for all three are one, in truth and power and goodness and mercy. So this is the beginning dealings with the Holy Trinity. This is dealing with uh, how is it the that Calvinists in particular, and I would say the Western Church at large, deal with the Trinity. Uh, we recognize that Scripture uses the language of unanimity, uh, of uh, oneness, and of plurality. Uh, even from the very beginning, where it says, "Let us make God, or let us make man in our image," it's a language of plurality. Uh, I've heard Muslims say, "Well, that's just royal language," uh, and in fact, the Quran will use the language of plurality as well. But uh, the comeback to that would be: so you're saying that it is more royal to be multiple? than it is to be singular. It is more royal to be multiple than it is to be singular. So where is the value in God only being simply one? If even in the Quran it agrees that um, by um, induction and by uh, just simply reading its own text, even though I grant that the Quran condemns, well, I, I would say that the Quran condemns a Trinitarian heresy when it, um, when it rejects the Trinity, but uh, even in the Quran itself, it, it agrees that plurality is better than singularity. Uh, just by simply the language that it puts in uh, the mouth of God. So, uh, we need to uh, work kind of through what's going on here. Uh, this is dealing with who God is. It's not dealing with how God relates to us necessarily, um, because... As, as it says right at the beginning, that the, this is an incommunicable property in the three persons. As in, you can't see in nature a true illustration or picture of who God is. The closest you can get with uh, this uh, picture is marriage. Uh, that's the only authorized picture. I say it's the only authorized because God says in the beginning, let us make man in our image. Uh, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, he 
the Lord right off the rip shows that there's only one authorized image right there. Uh, and also the Lord Jesus is the true image of God, as it says here in this text. Uh, but that's in dealing with his humanity in one sense. Uh, when he takes on flesh, he is the visible image of the invisible God. Because now he's visible, he's taken on flesh. But this is dealing with, in the beginning, before eternity passed, what was the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Well, it was just this. It was distinct, but not divided. It was uh, united, but it was not mingled or confused. And you may be racking your brain on how can that not be confused, because I'm confused. Well, you're not God, so that's fine. Uh, and I may get you may get pushback and say, uh, and the only people that would push back on this are unbelievers, but unbelievers listen to this podcast, so it should be stated that because they would say, well, how can I believe in something I don't understand? Um, well, you believe in all kinds of things you don't understand. Uh, if you're an unbeliever, I would reckon that you probably believe in evolution, but you can't understand evolution. You can't understand uh, quantum physics, because the whole point of quantum physics is that it's un that you can't understand it. If it, wasn't, if it was understandable, it wouldn't be quantum physics. Uh, you, there are things in this world that you can't wrap your brain around. Congratulations, you're not God. And you don't have the mind of God. We're sought to seek the mind of God. We are called to seek the heart of God. We're called to seek to imitate God as dearly beloved children, but we are not called to copy him. We're not called to usurp him. Uh, the reason why Christians come to the idea of the Trinity is, as I mentioned at the beginning, the uh, scriptures plainly teach the unity and plurality of God. So we had to reckon with that. Uh, scripture is not the answer to many philosophical debate. I heard uh, C.S. Lewis put this. Uh, scripture does not... Uh, is not the answer to many philosophical debates. But it adds to the equation so that we can actually come to the right answer. So... If you read um, philosophers of ancient times, they are working with the revelation that they have, which is, in most parts, natural revelation. Even in Ecclesiastes, um, in Scripture, and Book of Proverbs, in Scriptures, it is a working out of philosophy. Uh, it's divine philosophy, certainly, but it is within the um, confines of uh, that revelation that they had at that moment. And even in that, what do we see? Well, we see uh, Solomon saying, who is his son? What is his name? So even in uh, the time of the Old Testament, there was a recognition that God has a son. And the question is, what is his name? Well, the answer is the Lord Jesus. Uh, 
Now, I will say that there is a, I, I made the distinction because this uh, text makes the distinction of who is uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, the West Church recognizes that he proceeds from the Father and the Son, as it says here in the uh, uh, text. And the West recognizes that the East does not recognize uh, that distinction or that uh, dual uh, emanation. And uh, that's why I said Calvinism is a part of the Western Church. That doesn't mean that we don't recognize the Eastern Church, uh, but it does mean that there's the distinction that we hold that the other side does not. But we hold all kinds of things that other Christians do not, uh, as we will learn uh, soon enough. Uh, as of right now, I haven't said anything uh, that a Roman Catholic wouldn't agree with, except for our view on Scripture, which I've already dealt with in the last three episodes. Um, and with the Trinity, there's nothing that really any branch of the church would disagree with wholeheartedly or wholesale. Uh, they would disagree with the view of the Trinity when you deal with the Western church. But, uh, but for the most, they'd agree with it. Uh, you... And I think one of the reasons why they try not to want to uh, agree with it is because you have like our brother Athanasius of Alexandria who uh, gloriously fought for the incarnation and Lord bless him for that. And I hope that he got many crowns and glory for it. Uh, but he would certainly have uh, been distinguished from the uh, Council of Chalcedon. Uh, and he probably would not have agreed with uh, the shifting in the language of Nicaea. And so in the name of honoring Athanasius, I would, uh, if I was an Eastern Orthodox person, probably be more hard-pressed to want to change the language. And of course, I know there was political reasons behind it, but um, just on the face value of a, a honor your father and mother situation, I could see why it'd be also important to not want to change things up. You don't want to turn the guy who conde helped condemn a heretic into a heretic, and that's never a good time. Um, but that's going to be it for today. Tomorrow we will continue on the Holy Trinity. Uh, but for right now, uh, as always, guys, uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy this podcast. Please share the podcast. Please like and review it on whatever platform you're on. And as always, drink your coffee. Come to Jesus. Take care.